You can call her mayhem or mayday Talk shit, she at your head I ain't talking bald face She don't fuck with baby daddies Fucking up the funk sway Taking care of four kids Sunday to Sunday Fly earth and round trips When she hit the runway Comedy original She do shit her own way Made the stage her place Moving at her own pace Fuck with her the wrong way This gonna be a long day She watch basketball wives Loving hip hop too Born in 81 One day four turned to 82 Funny, ratchet, and cute. She a winner, that's true. She don't even take L's eating alphabet soup. Mayday, mayhem, 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 mayday, mayhem. She a cool black nerd, always been smart. Ever since she turned eight, wanted her name in the charts. Monty Python was a shit. Richard Pryor made a star. Red Fox and Eddie Murphy, inspiration to her art. Welcome back to the Mayday Mayhem podcast. I am your host, Mayday Mayhem. And today we will be discussing an event that happened in history that is little or known taught to our parents, our grandparents, and, you know, even us. And I can say that speaking from living on this earth for three decades, you know, so, but in all actuality, we are speaking about the Black Wall Street Massacre, which occurred May 31st through June 1st. It was literally 16 hours of pandemonium. Now, we will discuss what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that started this whole number one massacre of American citizens, especially African-Americans. And this is, this is something we're talking 
after Emancipation Proclamation, after, you know, segre- uh, say slavery was abolished and we're talking during this, so we're talking literally in 1921, what they call the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, we're speaking of an event that happened May 31st to June 1st in 1921. How did, what happened? You know, I had to ask my mother, and my mother is well in her 70s. Has she heard of it? And she got so mad because she had not heard of it. And as we kept hearing and talking about it on the news, she even said, you know, this was never taught to me in school. I didn't know nothing about this. You know, I, I had no idea that this happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, she said she had no idea. So I also asked other people that are in their 70s and 80s and 60s, late 60s, and asked them, had they heard about this Black Wall Street massacre, <clears throat> excuse me, that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma? And they said, no, you know, they weren't taught this. And it's astonishing that they weren't. But we're going to talk about why they were not, why we were not taught this in school. And of course, we want we know this. But we're going to go further in depth in it. Now, what happened on May 31st? You know, that is the day. What happened? Now, um, it's very, it's very foggy what happened because only three people know what happened. If that would be what? Sarah and Dick Rowland. Those are the only people that will literally know what's going on. What, what really happened? And how did it start? And how did it get from us having a 35 square block of nothing but 300 black owned businesses? We're not just talking about, oh, a salon here. No, we're talking about salon, grocery store, theaters. When, where they not only showed movies, but they had boxing matches, matinees, plays, you know, things of that nature. And it was all black owned for black citizens in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was very, very heavily segregated, especially back in 1921. And when you think of Tulsa, Oklahoma, you don't think of segregation that much because of the North, so to say. Oklahoma, but it was highly segregated in Tulsa where they had the colors only and the whites only. Um, but like I said, even Booker T. Washington called it the Negro Wall Street because everybody on there had houses, they had cars, they had land, they lived well, and they had beautiful mansions with antiques and fine pottery. Things that you wouldn't 
we're not taught in history that black people had. And that's what enraged like my mother, <clears throat> excuse me, people like my mother. That's what enraged them. Cause I've been talking to them for like the past, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of weeks. And like, I did like, I really do do surveys. I ask a certain group of people, certain questions and get a response. And the response that I got from at least, what happened, about 15, what I would call elders that's in their late 60s, their 70s, their 80s, even one woman was in her 90s that had not heard about this until maybe a couple of years ago. So what happened? How did it start? We still haven't got there yet. We're, I'm just talking about what we had and how it shows as a economic, economic group, so to see, say with my quotation marks in the air, that we were a thriving community. When I say we, I say African Americans, blacks, black people. I'm black. But we had a thriving community of shops and restaurants and cleaners and places where just for black people. And it was ran by black people and the money flowed through black people's hands. So we were able to flourish as a community. We literally had our own little, little thing going on for 35 blocks which to me is a marvelous and beautiful thing, especially back in 1921. That was a hundred years ago. And that's not the only reason why this is so important, but it's so important because it's part of our history that's been stripped from us that we didn't even know about. And I think what also enraged, um, especially a couple of men and women that were in their seventies and they asked the question, you know, like we didn't know that black people were thriving back in that time. We didn't know that there was a place and a town where everything was owned by blacks, ran by blacks, economy the money was flowing right there and that that's another thing that may be the catalyst to this but we're gonna get to that however you had the white section and you had the black section what they call the white and colored section now even though we had um the green was called the greenwood section that that 50 53 blocks or so is called the Greenwood section. Now, don't get it twisted. Of course, it's always wealthy white people. If you got wealthy black people, you know you got wealthy white people. Don't get it twisted. But, you know, they we still had to walk intermingle every day with each other. We still had to cross paths because, of course, it was Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm from Chicago. You have Inglewood. You have Roseland. You have um, Garfield. 
all those places are places in Chicago, but those are little strips of blocks. So you get the understanding of, well, if they had all this, how was it? No, because it's like little, little blocks, little sections. And it's just that we had these little 35 blocks. And, you know, they had the rest. But we still had to intermingle and cross each other, of course, to get about our daily dues. Now, you asking the question, family, what the fuck happened? Who are the key players in this? And how did it get from that thriving community to it literally, not figuratively, literally being destroyed and looked like Hiroshima Nagasaki hit it. Where literally turpentine bombs were dropped just on these 35 blocks by rich white people that also lived in Tulsa. We're going to talk about that and what happened. So, now I know I, I promise y'all conspiracy, but conspiracy gonna have to wait. This is Lil Baby Marie Payton. She made Payton. But, um, we finna talk about who are the key players and what happened. Now, it all starts when, um, a man, um, well, it's so many stories surrounding this because I've heard three different stories on what happened and we'll never know what happened like i said only people that know what happened is god um is god uh roland and um sarah page those are the only three people that know really what happened None of them are here to speak for themselves. So we will never know what really happened. There was no surveillance tape. There were no films to see, little cameras to see what happened. So we'll never know what happened. But as the story goes, um, Roland apparently, Dick Roland apparently, um, assaulted this 17 year old white girl named Sarah Page. Now, Dick Rowland was 19 years old when this happened. He was a shoe shiner down, you know, in a little downtown area, you know, where everybody had to like really come in and cold mingle and everything. And the place where he shoe shined at did not have a washroom. And see, this is what you have to think about. What the fuck really happened? Um, they had a, um, uh, 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 there's no washroom where he shined shoes. So his boss made it, made a deal where they can go down to the hotel where Sarah Page is an elevator operator. See, that's how they always cross paths. So, when Roland, you know, had to relieve himself and go to the washroom, he would have to walk down to the hotel, 
get on the hotel elevator and go all the way to the top floor because that was the only colored bathroom in the near vicinity and you know his boss had made it you know like look cut your little money here at the hotel make sure my employees my shoe shine boys can use the washroom when need be so him running in to sarah page was not a oh my god they, no they knew each other had to know each other because he had to ride the elevator every day to relieve himself He's a 19-year-old boy and she's a 17-year-old girl. They're young. Okay. Like I said, it was so many conflicting stories. I really had to. That don't sound right. Oh, well. Okay. Well. So as I saw more, I started kind of putting it together in my warped mind. Now, y'all can help me out. Y'all can leave comments at MaydayMayhem.com. Um shoot me an email through there maydaymayhem at gmail.com and tell me what you think and we can even explore this conversation even more because this will not be the last time these conversations will be had this is something that should be spoken about and talked about a lot you know but however what happened now you have a black shoe shine boy and you have a white elevator girl now he used the washroom. You know, he's on his way to the elevator to get in the, use the washroom. Now, this is the catalyst that kind of, this is like the button that was pushed that kind of started the traction of everything in motion. Because it started out really slow. Like, okay, he was, uh, he allegedly assaulted her on the elevator. Now, how can he assault someone that he sees every day that he pretty much has a, a repertoire with? He has a, a connection with, so to say, because they pretty much work and do the same thing. He shoots shine shoes. She's an elevator operator. When he has to use the washroom, who has to take him on the elevator up there? The elevator operator. So we all must understand that, you know, when you hear elevator operator, what was he doing in there with? It? No, he was using the washroom. Back then, they didn't have it where you just push a button yourself on the elevator. No, you had an actual elevator operator that you tell them what floor you want to go to. And they, okay. You want to go to floor 12? All right, let me take you to floor 12. They take you to floor 12, get you off the elevator, and they go back down and wait for someone else to need to go to the elevator. Or someone calls for an elevator. They come up. You needed an elevator. It was like a mobile taxi. You know, they, they push buttons. You know. So, he goes to try to relieve himself. He allegedly, now this is one story I heard. That he allegedly tripped and bumped into her. And she made a noise or a scream or something. And another store owner inside the hotel says he saw. He saw him running away because she had screamed or so something. She had screamed. That's one story. 
Another story I heard is that he, they kissed and someone saw it and someone, you know, got angry. It's like, oh, he assaulted her. That was two stories. I heard another story where, um, yet again, he tripped and got on the elevator. It was something that happened inside this elevator where they saw a incident happen. However, when the police were called, you know, Sarah Page, you know, allegedly said, no, there's, there's nothing going on. Nothing happened. You know, nothing, literally nothing happened. You know, nothing. There's nothing happened. There's no police report of Sarah Page out there saying that he assaulted her. Now, whatever happened in that elevator, he screamed and ran. Now, we are going to listen to some audio throughout here. And maybe we can try to really piece together what did happen. But like I said, we'll never know. Whatever happened in this elevator pushed um, the police to be called. When the police got there, Sarah Page told them, you know, nothing happened, you know. Nothing happened. Then it's a story where um he was told that um Sarah Page was his girlfriend. He was in love. That's that's, that's another story that was told. But in all actualities, she never pressed charges on him. She never did. She didn't. Um, and then it's even stated that she would never press charges against Dick Rowland, you know, and here's an article that's stating like something that there was a white store clerk in the Drexel building, which is the Drexel hotel who heard a scream and saw Dick running out of the elevator. He then decided that Dick must have assaulted her. You know, that was the scream. Oh, oh, he must have assaulted her. But what really did happen? We don't know. But after that, Roland was arrested and he was questioned and he was held inside the jail. This is where shit goes left. Now, we are talking about Black Wall Street, Tulsa, 1921. This is the past of World War One. Now, you have um, ex-military out there now that served in World War One. It was a group of black ex-military that went to the jail to try to um. How do you say support him and protect him? There we go. Protect him. And why were they protecting him? Because it was an article put out by the Tulsa paper now stating that he had literally assaulted her um, and tried to rape her. You know. And it was literally a poll police statement that came out that said 
Negro tries to assault white girl in elevator. And in the article, it pretty much read about how he should be um, lynched for assaulting a white girl. And that's, that's, that's pretty much what happened. And they were out there to protect him because they was, they knew that they was going to lynch him. They knew that if white people got hold of him or if the, if anyone got hold of him, that that boy was not going to live. They knew this. This was nothing that was out of the ordinary. And, um, as the black, now we have the black ex-military out there. Now, you know, they got their shit on them, right? You know, they got they, they thumpers, they pistols, they, they got their shit. So they standing out there patrolling them. Now, this is the catalyst that really started it all. So they say, allegedly, a white man tried to take one of the black, um, ex-militaries guns and that's when all hell broke loose which means that's when the shit hit the fan so of course they were outnumbered they were they were killed they were outnumbered and killed because they all started shooting at them you know it was like a, a shootout and that's pretty much the catalyst that what well, the reason that they proclaim and when i say they I'm talking about those residents back then in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the white residents back then. They say that's what everyone says was kicked it off. And when they say that's what kicked it off and all hell broke loose, they meant all hell broke loose. Um, That's when Tulsa was literally started to be bombed. And, and y'all, I'm not talking about, no, look, pop, pop. they had nitroglycerin bombs, kerosene bombs. They were literally snatching people out of their homes and putting, you know, and setting them on fire, shooting them up inside their homes. So we are going to also hear a little bit of this from some survivors and when I say survivors you have to understand this happened a hundred years ago some of these people are a hundred and nine a hundred and ten a hundred and six and they remember this so we're going to listen to some of their audio of what happened that day that they saw or what they were told by their grandparents and mothers and sisters and siblings and why it was covered up. So stay tuned for this break during the Mayday Mayhem podcast. And I want to take this time to thank you for listening to the Mayday Mayhem podcast. Al, and I am your host, Mayday Mayhem. And you can not only catch me on Anchor FM, but you can catch me on Breaker. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. If you have a streaming device, 
listen to your girl Mayday Mayhem. Ew. Hey y'all, it's your girl Mayday Mayhem. Ew. Are y'all looking for some hilarious comedy, sketch comedy, dramatic comedy, <laughs> comedy? Check out Joe of Artsy. They are two guys with comedy on their mind. Their mission is to make you laugh, make you cry, make you laugh from crying, make you cry from laughing. Either way, it works hand in hand. Check out Joe of Artsy. Two hilarious guys. You will love their sketch comedy. They can be found on YouTube. They can be found on Instagram. And they can be found on Facebook. Just type in Joe, J-O, of O-F, Artsy, A-R-T-S-E-Y. You are going to die from laughter. <laughs> no, but for real, y'all, check them out. Joe of Artsy. That's on IG. It's on Facebook. That's on YouTube. Check them out for some funny sketch comedy. And I'll see y'all there. It's your girl. I would also like to take this time and thank all my sponsors and listeners support because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So I would like to say thank you and I love y'all. Let's keep going on with the show. And we are back to the Mayday Mayhem podcast. I am your host, Mayday Mayhem. And now we are going to take a listen to some of the audio of the, um, not only some of the survivors, but some of the historians about what happened and how did this kick off. You can also find this on YouTube. Um, so please, I strongly check it out. Up against or stepped on the foot of Sarah Page. She overreacted. She began to scream. Dick Rowland, frightened, ran from the elevator. Family lure offers another. What the man saw was not a man attacking a woman, not a black man attacking a woman. What he saw was two people kissing. Sarah Page and Dick Rowland were lovers. He was accused of attacking her, and Sarah, from what we understand, tried to tell him, no, 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 we're in love. We're getting married. She would refuse to cooperate with prosecutors after they arrested Dick Rowland and charged him with assault. Though that might have been the end of the story, it wasn't because of the role of the Tulsa Tribune. It published a story the next day entitled Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in an Elevator. What happened next should have been shocking, but it's not. A group of white men amassed on the lawn of the courthouse, numbering ultimately in the thousands. A number of black men, several dozen, some of them World War I veterans, marched down to the courthouse vowing to protect Dick Rowland from what they thought might be a certain death by lynching. Ed had an old pistol around the house to hey, people put one in his pocket. He heard that they were trying to lynch a black boy down there, down there at the courthouse. A white man tried to take a black man's gun, and in the words of a number of survivors of the massacre, all hell broke loose after that. 
than 24 hours, that mob turned 35 square blocks of unparalleled black economic prosperity into smoldering ashes. We saw coming up the wall four men with torches in their hands. When my mother saw them coming, she said, if you get up under the bed, get up under the bed. They set our house on fire and went right straight to the curtains and set the curtains on fire. We saw over 10,000 people be made homeless. In 18 hours, we saw 1,256 homes destroyed. Today, that land would have been valued at 25 to 30 million dollars. The official death toll was 37, a number almost too low to believe. Most. Now, you heard them say the death toll was 37, no. Exactly, a number too low to believe. It actually in their books became 300, but we still know it was more than that because over a thousand homes were destroyed. That's more than 300 people. But let's listen on. Experts believe that between 100 and 300 people were killed, most of them black. A number of folks in the Greenville community were, were interned during the massacre. What that did was to leave the Greenwood community defenseless. Thousands tried to flee Greenwood. White guy asked my grandfather, why in the hell are you going? You, 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 you. This man was five years old. And my grandpa said, we're, here we got, we're going out of town. And he said, not this day, you're not going out of town. Bam! You saw your grandfather get shot? I saw him get shot. Bam! The first aerial terrorist attack in American history was not done by Al-Qaeda, was not done by the Japanese. But the first time we were attacked by air in this country, it was done by white men. And they flew planes that were owned by privately held corporations. When I was awakened by my mother, I was real frightened because she told me what was happening. And she says, we have to go out, get out. I said, she says, the, the white people are killing the colored people. But did you hear the first aerial attack? You hate it. This group of black people so much that you did a fucking aerial attack. We had an aerial attack on black people in 1921. And you mean to tell me there are no laws for black people for really discrimination. There's really no laws set in place for us that it's hate crime that's a fucking hate crime we don't have hate crime laws set in place by the president of the united states for us we don't have that we're gonna listen a little bit more farther north on the train tracks out of town the nightmare was just beginning eldoris mcconduchy just nine years old at the time was running for her life. And the track was just full of people. And all I could see was black rolling smoke down south and the people going north. It was just the sound of this bricks, stones, buildings blown up. You just, just the war torn heights. Eldoris's granddaughter, Joy McCondishy, can only imagine the horrors of her grandmother's escape. 
so the bullets are bouncing off of the train tracks and stinging their feet. She's already scared to death, but now they realize, oh, they're shooting at us. They're dropping bombs on us. Bullets were just raining down over us. Airplanes were up, just raining down the bullets. And I was so frightened, I pulled away from my parents and ran into this chicken coop with all the other people. Now that's how scared she was. That's how scared that she, they're dropping bombs that she had to run into a chicken coop. Now this audio was taken in 1999 and that she was talking about something that happened when she was nine years old now. So let's listen on. Thousands more missing. In 2001, the Oklahoma Commission to Study the Race Riot of 1921 released a report naming three locations where mass graves from the massacre may be buried. But at the time, the city administration decided that it wasn't worth the expense to dig up the past. In 2020, the city's current mayor, G.T. Bynum, authorized the excavations to commence. Yeah, I think one of the things that caused previous public officials to avoid it was this fear that there'd be this giant backlash against it, that there'd be this steep political price to pay. The Republican mayor first proposed looking for victims in 2018, a challenge for the predominantly conservative city of Tulsa, where over 60% of residents are white and just 15% are black. Someone was not happy with me pursuing this investigation and she came up to me when I was out at breakfast with my wife and kids and said, you're just trying to make all the white people who lived in Tulsa in the 1920s look bad. And I said, my family were white people in Tulsa in the 1920s. I'm not trying to make them look bad, but everybody who lives here deserves to know what happened. The mayor appointed local historian, Kevin Ross, to chair a public oversight committee. And now, Paul, you have... Even the mayor, who is white at this time, saying, yes, we need to have this place exhumated to see who's here, who, like, how many bodies really was it now. They're talking about 300, 150, 300, no, it probably was in the thousands. And three mass graves, Lord knows how many people are in three mass graves. But they did start excavating them um i think about seven months ago or so but the question is why wouldn't you want to know the history oh you want to make white people look bad this was like the first attack on history and you mean to tell me that it shouldn't be spoken about so that's one of the reasons why it was a Cover up. You're making white people look bad. And and that's that's insane. That that really is insane. But I strongly advise you to look at um it was uh blood on the black Wall Street, the legacy of the Tulsa race riot, but there are so many other um there's so many other places where you can get this mass, mass 
information that has been covered and taken from us. You know, like I said, this was Black Wall Street thriving and they literally burned it down, which now I just played a clip of you hearing some survivors and historians talking about what happened and how it affected them and what what happened it was either what she stepped on his toe oh no she was a lover oh no one will ever know now i just told you and i played for you what was said what could have happened what possibly happened no one knows what happened but this was one of the catalysts that started literally the like i said the first mass ray bombing on america for 16 18 hours where was the government of course they weren't around because of course they really didn't care however this was going on and now it's oh no 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 don't talk about that don't talk about that no it needs to be spoken about because we need to know as the black people that we can strive and have our own economy making our own money thriving and it can work however they didn't bomb none of their own houses they didn't set none of their houses or business on fire no it was 35 square blocks 300 businesses over a thousand and some homes that were burned bombed and set on fire and it wasn't just private planes these were corporation planes and you think no one should be held accountable for that shit? That's the problem. Someone needs to be held accountable for it. Why is it that all of this can happen and no one is held accountable? No one. Of course, the people that did it are not going to be locked up. Hell, half of them did. However, when it comes to accountability, it comes to telling the truth on what really happened. You destroyed all these people's lives and nothing should be done about it. Like, I still don't understand why is it not laws in America for black people for discrimination saying that that is a hate crime. Now, this shows you over a hundred years ago. Motherfucking jealous white people, racist white people. I ain't talking about my good white people, y'all. Not y'all. But the racist white people bombed and pillaged and killed women, men, children. For what reason? You think they didn't riot? They looted those stores. They riot those stores. They took all that shit. Why? Because black people had it. And once it all was over, they made it so hard for the black people to rebuild. So nothing was pretty much rebuilt. As you heard. It's over 60% white. 15% black. So you kind of wiped that out. And they just said how much it would be worth today. So was this a also a money ploy. A money, a money scheme. Was it? And why is this important today? 
because this is our history. This is still the history of America, just like any other shit we have.